Okay, we are recording. I'm here with Mark and Dom. Guys, how you doing? Doing well. Good, thank you. Yeah. Mark, thanks for having us over. Where are we? We're in, uh, well, we're in San Diego, but we call it the Miramar area. So, Miramar, this is where all the breweries are in San Diego. So, within, uh, you know, within a quarter mile of here, I'd say we have at least 30 or 40 breweries. So, we got Ballast Point right down the road. We got Ale Smith over here and a whole bunch of little small ones that uh, are equally as good. But most famous for Top Gun, right? Oh, that was that was thirty-five years ago. So. Hey, it's coming back. It's just coming in back. time. Man. Just in the, time, uh, yeah. For the for the remake. Or I think Top Gun is in like Arizona somewhere, or Nevada. I'm not sure yeah, exactly. It yeah, but moved. it's supposed to be relaunched now. But I think they pushed it off till Christmas, right? The 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 new one. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I know when you know in the eighty-four, eighty-seven, whenever they did the movie, that just over here, that it was uh, it was a Navy air station and now it's a marine air station so right so it's slightly different so they don't do top gun they have a bunch of v-22 ospreys and uh, f-18 hornets and then uh the new f-35s are flying around every once in a while now but it, it does get noisy from time to time but even when you go down the 15 like something like you can see there's more crashes because there's always something flying over though it's pretty yeah, cool yeah it's true but most like an air show every day it yeah. is it really is yeah when you go down the 15 yeah. yeah the blue angels literally fly right over here pretty low so it's uh, when they do that once a year it's, it's pretty low but mostly it's just v22s these days it seems like so. cool cool well i got dom in today um dom you got so much history more on the freestyle side but we do have a lot in common we're both the same age we're both from england but kind of similar past but you in freestyle me in racing so and you've done so many great things in in bmx a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I know a lot of the racer guys probably won't know much about, but be very interested in in, in doing. Um, so I guess that maybe where you started. Um, yeah, all those... for me, uh, you know, probably better known for the work I've done in freestyle, and uh, certainly I don't have a you know a story from back in the day. I don't I don't have a you know a writing story. I was a kid, you know, growing up in a neighborhood. I think our paths were pretty similar, weren't they? Actually. And, um, you know, clutching a magazine in one hand and trying to learn tricks. Quite young, you know, inspired by some of the writers I saw, people like Bob Harrow very early on, um, and obviously some of the other guys in the Harrow team. I also remember vividly seeing uh, the, the GT World Tour as well, Dave Breed and Eddie Fiola. So, yeah, my, my kind of beginnings in BMX are pretty ordinary, but, you know, a number of years back, I kind of got... Um, I guess interested more in the historical side. So I, I would collect BMX frames and, you know, go through a period of restoring them and trying to make them pristine again, serving some kind of inner need I had, I guess. But um, eventually I got more interested in actually here, you know, trying to, trying to sort of retell the story of the era and why was BMX freestyle so important to, to kids in our generation. You know, um, so yeah, it was fun. I grew up in in Southampton in England, and I know you were up in Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. So. But I ra- I didn't race Southampton track, but obviously I went to Bournemouth and Poole quite a lot in oh, the yeah. in the early eighties. And uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't know Southampton well. But my big rival, Anthony Howells, I don't know if you know him. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, he was my big rival in the eighties, and he was from Southampton. Yeah. So I yeah. remember him well. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he went to a different school to me, but he was you know he was the known guy. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, great, great, great rider, still a good guy. Um, yeah. So you might have probably been the same as me, BMX Action Bike, BMX Weekly, you, you got all magazine collections yeah. of all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was the kid outside of the newsagents, you know, on the day the magazine came out every time. And again, it's inspiring. I think, you know, the British scene um, was so intensely, you know, creative. I, I always put it down to the fact that we didn't have as much of it as, you know, we didn't have access to... I guess, the whole world of freestyle that people had, particularly where we are now, right? San Diego, LA, Orange County. Um, so we kind of maybe grasped it a little bit tighter. I don't know. I, you know, we were just, you know, we created our own world in our own neighborhoods, right? We didn't have the palm trees or the skate parks or the cool Pacific breeze, but we were able to, to make it something that was really important and appealing to us as kids in communities, right? Neighborhoods and for me as well, I moved around quite a lot as a kid, and it became like a, you know, you get on a BMX and you ride around the neighborhood, you find other kids pretty quickly. So there was a, I guess, like a social component to it too. But yeah, I dropped anchor just really being intensely in the BMX for a number number of years when I was a kid, buying magazines, you know, trying to get to see shows when riders came over. 
you know, uh, finding the, the, the dad in the neighborhood who, who we could force to build us a ramp. And, uh, you know, it was the model, I think, that was going on mm-hmm. right across the UK. Uh, but ultimately, I think the British scene was really passionate and committed. And, and certainly a ton of amazing riders came out of, uh, of the free side and the race side of it. Yeah, who were the, some of the guys you looked to? Was it like the regulars, Andy Ruffle, Craig Campbell, Neil Ruffles, yeah, stuff like that? Yeah, well, Andy Ruffle was was on everyone's radar, right? He he he's a great guy, and he really was the kind of, you know, he was the front end of BMX when it started to become you know, BMX beat and all that. Mm-hmm. So when it kind of, kind of came into popular culture, um, Andy was, you know, he was the perfect guy to stand up and kind of represent it. Um, and then, of course, tons of great riders came through. I mean, Craig Campbell, um, you know, Peppy Winder. All those guys um, were an inspiration, and we had access to them on on the TV show, you know, BMXB. Um, and then, you know, you, we also observed it changing too, I guess, because you know Lee Reynolds, um, Jess, uh, Durham Forth, um, Craig Campbell, Nick Phillip, those guys were taking it off in a different direction. Um, and I've got something going on with that actually that I'll speak about in a little while. But yeah, it was it was a great it was a great time. And uh, to be young and you know getting out in the in in the neighbourhoods and making new friends, riding bikes. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you get the, make the move over to America? Did you come out? You know, like myself, I came out a bunch of times before I made the full move. Was you on the same kind of thing, or you? Yeah, I mean the 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 short answer to that is I I was collecting all these bikes and stuff, and I and I um, myself and two good friends of mine, Chris Chris Daly and Jason Ely. Between the three of us, we'd kind of hoarded all these, you know, what we perceived to be rare Haro freestylers, all these US-made frames. And what we would do is occasionally we'd get together at an event, like a BMX event. The rad event in, in the UK was one we would do. Uh, sometimes it was a VW event. And we'd take down like a little expo of our bikes, right? Jason Ely was just the master craftsman behind the scenes. He'd build all these cool like shop fitting pieces. So we looked pretty credible. Um, and anyway, we got invited to go to the Cologne Worlds, uh, Cologne BMX Worlds in 2009. They had like a, a show with Bob Harrow coming over with Mike Dominguez, Ron Wilkerson, you know, Brian Blythe, Dave Nury. We went over to bring our bikes to kind of support the show and um, got to meet Bob there and kind of got to know him over a couple of years and then started coming over kind of like as a tourist. Um, and then eventually... Um, as far as I recall, the way it worked was um, Haro Bikes had reached out to Bob because they were getting emails and, you know, all this communication coming through from, from people like me, I guess, who were saying, you know, the questions, the known questions like, you know, what's the Pantone color for this Haro Master? I want to restore it. Or I've got this serial number, you know, when was my bike built? And they, they kind of felt that there was, the ground was moving beneath their feet a little bit. Um, so they wanted somebody to come in and put together a, a good history project for them so they could kind of like, you know, I guess show that they knew their story and, and do something positive with the history. Um, and I believe that Bob didn't really want to do it because, as I recall, I think he was busy doing a lot of other stuff. Um, so he introduced me and that was when I started talking to them about doing stuff. So that was 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where did you mark me the... Uh, I think I was. Mark, you got. We got to do a podcast because you have deep, deep history as well. I was involved in more, more yeah. stuff than I'm older than you guys. Yeah. So. <laughs> not as old as most of the guys that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm 52, so I, I, I basically got into BMX back in 75, 76. I remember one of my neighbors. He was, I think he's by five years older than me. He had a, he had an R and R, which you know, I didn't really know much about BMX bikes then, and. Uh, in an R and R, remember with uh, nickel-plated redline forks, and uh, you know he was old enough to where he got lost interest in it, and I ended up buying the bike from him. And then that was my first race bike. Uh, I think I started racing UBR up in the Bay Area, and uh, I think it was '79 was my '78, '79. So I mean, I never was really good at racing. I did it for fun. It was you know I had no intention of ever. <laughs> profiting off of it but uh transitioned into doing freestyle 82 83 and then got into some competition you know 84 85 range um and you had some nice bikes <laughs> i had some nice bikes yeah, yeah, <laughs> i worked you know my right after freshman year in high school i started working at a bike shop up in livermore livermore cyclery and uh, you know it was oh, what over at agr 14 15 something like that um so i 
the only job I ever had up until I became a mechanical engineer was working at bike shops. So I, I worked there for three or four years and then moved up or lived, moved down to San Diego to go to UC, UC San Diego in 86. Worked a couple of years bike shops here and uh, you know, kept freestyling um, down here. And, you know, I, I was more of a, a flatland guy, but, you know, did a little bit of the street stuff before it was kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, did it for mostly for fun. But, you know, I was, I'd say I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I certainly can make more money as an engineer than as a, an aging uh, freestyle writer. <laughs> and you, you've added a lot of value to, to BMX projects. Yeah, too, so, so right? Dom, and I met, yeah, Dom and I met probably 2012, or whenever you yeah. launched the, uh, the Master... Oh, was it the master or was it a freestyler? Yeah. Um, that thing, I remember there was a show up at, uh, it was at the Bicycle Source, is that the name oh, of the yeah. place? Oh, yeah, yeah, so that so, was one of the book launches, I think. Yeah, yeah so that was, was the first all, book launch, right? woven into, into that project, yeah. So we met there and then, uh, you know, we, we met basically through Bob Harrow to some degree and then we worked on some projects together and then Dom, yeah. you know, you moved out here for a while and... Uh, you worked for me for a while, and uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I learned a, a, a whole bunch of new skills in in the uh, composite, uh, the world of composite manufacturing, uh, which was great because you know I was transitioning to, to live here, um, working on yeah, working on BMX projects and trying to figure out you know, what, what my future looked like. So yeah, Mark became a good friend of mine, and he also is someone who's talented enough that he can help out with some of the barriers. And the obstacles that you come across in these projects, you know, things like the Haro Freestyler project. I'm not sure, you, sure if you did anything on that one, but I know that yeah. we often, you know, we have to make things which, um, you know, we often don't know if we can. Um, so we have to find clever people like Mark to, mm-hmm. you know, to help us get over those barriers and make us a prototype of, of something so we can go and get it made, you know, however we do it. But, um, but yeah, so we, I know we've been a good little alliance. We've helped each other out yeah. a bunch over the years. and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I guess I could rewind a little bit. I, I started working with Bob Harrow in 1990, so it's been you know, 30 Long years time, this yeah. year. So we, we worked together on a mountain bike uh, prototype in the early days of uh, you know, kind of suspension mountain bikes. Um, and then we were friends. You know, we've been friends for the last 30 years, and I've been working with his Iconics brand, uh, worked with his Axio brand, uh, and some of his, you know, commercial, he does a lot of commercial work, so it's you know, just his regular mm-hmm. projects that he works with other clients. So, yeah, we've, we've, we've worked together quite some time. That's, you know, that's how. It's ironic that, that Bob gives you the nickname Dr. No. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. No with an N. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I'm not sure with a K or an N. Which, which, which one? <laughs> the, thing, the thing I like about it is the answer is rarely no. It's usually, can we do this? And you're like, yeah, we, we can do that. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, Bob and I both... Um, I've both relied on Mark over the years to help us uh, further little project ideas that involve manufacturing something that we've got no clue of how to make. So, yeah, it's kind of good. What was your first... So, the horror book, was that the first kind of big project you did? Well, the first one was the the horror freestyler project. So this, again, sort of leading back to that story of how I got here, was um, I it was 2011, and Haro had said to me... Um, you know, if you had to put together a project for us, what would it be? And I said, well, an obvious thing for me at the time was I'd, I'd spent a bit of time being a bit of a geek, figuring out some of the serial codes on the Haro stuff. So I, I had a pretty good understanding of the evolution of the product range from when it started. Because Bob designed the first freestyle bike, the Haro Freestyler. And, um, you know, even my uh, limited mathematics worked out that in 2011, that was 29 years after the fact, right? So I'm like, okay, well, we can probably plan to, you know, with the amount of work involved to, to, to do this, we can probably plan a project around remaking that frame and having a 30th anniversary uh, anniversary of it, uh, which also allows us to to kind of celebrate the history of freestyle at Harrow more broadly too. Um, and I got working with, with them, and Joe Hawke, who's the chief exec there, he's, uh, he's someone that's been very, very open to, to working with me over the years. Um, I certainly felt that one of the things that happened on that project was that they got very excited to learn about the history of the brand. And I was learning all the way through too, right? So you don't go in with the, you know, knowing everything you need to know, but you learn along the way. You speak to people, you meet riders. Um, so that the first project was a freestyler. We made uh, 300 of them in Santa Ana, um, which actually is pretty close to where they were made originally. So they were made in Fullerton back oh, in the okay. day. Uh, by Talker so you know I tried to with that project I tried to get 
and make it as authentic as I possibly could. Even down to the fact that we chrome-plated those frames at Bush Plating in Garden Grove, and Bush Plating plated everyone's frames in the 80s. They did all the GTs, they did all the Haro Freestylers. Are they so, still around now? They are, actually, yeah. They, and, they re, and they plated these Freestylers for us in, in 2011, uh, 2012. So, yeah, we had all these exciting little authentic touch points for those projects. Um, and one of the deliverables was, like, in the box with the frame... Um, I had this idea to put like this little brochure in there that would, you know, just kind of abbreviate the story of it, talk about the riders. And what happened was that brochure, through conversations with Joe Hawk and I uh, over a beer in Encinitas, because I stayed with him for months on end, actually, um, when I would come over, turned into a book. So he said, well, you know, why don't you just write a book? I'm like, okay, well, I can probably do that. Mm -hmm. And that then became two volumes of a book that I wrote for them. Um, which is called The Rise of BMX Freestyle Series, Horror Bikes. Now, have you done a book before that in anything else? No, I, I hadn't, actually. And, I, you know, another thing for me is I, over the years, I've, I've learned more skills. Um, those first books really were... I was the narrative guy, so I wrote the books. I, my writing was always pretty good anyway. It's pretty reasonable. I just, you know, some people have that skill, I guess. I don't have a lot of other skills, but... Um, so, you know, working with a good editor and, and, and really being allowed to take the time to do it was... How would you, like, I, I'm fascinated how you write a book. I mean, you do, like, you, you allocate so many hours a day, research, writing, typing, talking to people. Yeah, I mean, the I, mean, I mean, you know, obviously there's planning involved. And, what, and, and that's one thing I am good at. I'm very good at planning. I've, I've, you know, been working in project management for a number of years. So it always starts pretty much with you know, the thing that most creative people hate, which is a spreadsheet, right? Mm-hmm. So you pull up a spreadsheet and you try to decide um, what the, we call it the pagination. So how is the story going to be told? Um, where do you begin, where you end? What are the points you want to cover? So you end up with a spreadsheet and then you just kind of take a deeper dive into those subjects. Um, most of the research is obviously done with people, right? So that was another good really exciting thing for me and for Haro was that when that freestyler project got going I think within about a month I had about 35 40 people reconnected with them so people like Jim Ford who you know Jim had been there up until 2005 I think um, but certainly the riders you know people like Wilkerson and Blyther Dominguez all those uh, guys that were iconic Haro riders mm-hmm. um, we got everybody rallied back together um, and I have to say, everyone was excited about it. We had a really good energy. Um, so, yeah, I got a lot of the research from people. Some of it I already knew. And, uh, yeah, I kind of learned I learned a sort of <laughs> crash course in, in how to put a book together, uh, which was really fun to do, actually. Yeah. And that motivated you to continue doing it after that, then? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the other books I've done, uh, my own books, were, again, really... All these things start for me with usually me on a bike ride somewhere where I can get undistracted mm-hmm. and I get an idea for a project. So I'm like, you know, usually it has to be an idea that I'm excited about. Okay, so for me to be able to deliver the projects is quite a lot of work in there and, you know, quite a few sacrifices too often. Um, so I have to really be excited myself. So I come up with an idea, then I just start to evolve it. The birth of the BMX Freestyle Movement books were really, I had this kind of, I had this folder on my desktop on my Mac that was had all this kind of overspill of images that people had given me and information, that stuff that just didn't really fit in the horror books. And, of course, I was always talking to those guys too. I was always talking to writers. So I just came up with this idea and thought, you know, maybe I can do this kind of community-driven book. Um, we'll try and get the right people. We'll be ambitious, right? Get, you know, we'll get the Bobs and, and the Bob Osbournes and the Spike Jones and Andy Jenkins, Mark Luman. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can do all that stuff, we can deliver this thing credibly. It can be a really cool book. So then I set off, you know, finding, really taking stock of what I had in assets. And then what, how's this story going to play out? So the spreadsheet comes out, you start to figure out. In that case, it wasn't about evolution. It was more about, okay, what were the key kind of components of the story in the 80s? So, you know, I've, I've always felt very strongly that the BMX media was, uh, you know, a vital and huge part of it, right? There's a lot of journalists and photographers and, and people behind the scenes at magazines that, you know, didn't obviously didn't get the limelight back in the day because that wasn't what it was about. 
But for me, I really wanted to get to those people, mm-hmm. the Dean Bradleys of this world, uh, the James Casimus of this world. Dean Bradley, I same thing. I love his anything he posts. I like, what he reads, what he the, the images, the, the captions and stuff. Like Dean's a perfect yeah, example yeah. of that person, right? Mm. He, he's a guy that back in the day, and he even announced. But you don't know if you remember. We might not have seen it, but he announced a lot of the BMX races for TV, ESPN, yeah, yeah, Jaguar Championship. Yeah, great announcer as well. Yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised to hear it. Dean, yeah. Dean, Dean yeah. has been, a, you know, I don't. I say he's kind of like a journeyman mm. in BMX, and I say that in a really positive way because he, mm. he was around a lot of different things. He was hired as the first editor of uh, BMX Plus. Action. Oh, Action before that, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, by Bob Osborne. Mm. And Dean, Dean tells a good story about it. He's like, you know, I was kind of, didn't really know what, <laughs> what I was doing, but I was passionate and into it. Uh, he was there for a while. Then he went to Action Now magazine. Uh, again, a, a magazine that really kind of falls between the cracks sometimes because, you know, it has that kind of skateboard component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of found itself in this loveless place now where skateboarders really don't like it as a historical piece because it became action now where it was skateboarder originally. Mm-hmm. Right? And BMX, you know, Bob Harrow was very much the kind of poster boy for that because he got involved with uh, Dave Dash, who's the, who was the, the publisher, Casimus, um, Dean Bradley, uh, D. David Morin with a kind of editorial and, and photographic crew behind it, a creative crew. Yeah, that's um, as well for yeah. Yeah, so, and they and they were ambitious. They were covering crazy weird sports like uh, I think sandboarding was in there, <laughs> but they were also covering mountain biking and BMX freestyle and BMX racing. Mm-hmm. So they came along, and that did that magazine didn't last, but it was certainly something that I feel was really important to the story because it really was the first magazine to do what freestyling magazine gets a lot of credit for later, which mm-hmm. is bringing that kind of lifestyle mix together. Yeah. So, so yeah, anyway, big, big tangent, but putting the birth books together was really just about identifying the, the key components of it. What moved it forward again? What, what happened that was, you know, critical to link those things together as well? It's usually people, it's usually young people who are motivated with entrepreneurial spirits or creative skills that are taking something forward and, that, again, is the magic of, of that first decade for me. The magic of the story is whether it's people doing it for their ego, doing it for money, whatever it is, or doing it just purely out of their love for it, young people moved it on without question, okay? So people started brands, Bob Harrow, you know, even Bob Osborne back in the early 70s when he started BMX Action Magazine, he was a part-time fireman. He, you know, he had a good interest in photography, um, and he stepped into it for reasons that weren't necessarily about business. And then he was a skilled guy that could take it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And again, for me, BMX Action, Bob Osborne is, he's kind of like the crystal piece of this whole story, right? Without him, there really isn't so much incredible, you know, storyline to it. And he's very in the background now, isn't he? I mean, I don't see him on social media, or maybe he's not yeah, working well, hard enough. But he's a... Uh, He's not really that guy. He he lives over in Montana now. In fact, I'm going out to see him uh, in a few weeks' time. Now, is it true the archives are gone? Like they in a dumpster in the back of BMX action, they got thrown and I honestly don't. know. I heard that a few times. People have said that. Yeah, I believe. I believe uh, he must have some stuff though. I think he's got some stuff. Yeah, and he's doing a little art exhibit in in uh, Montana with it. Right, and I'm and I'm going over there to record one of my podcasts with him actually. And I'll find out more about that. Yeah, that'd be a great podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, he he's a he's a super guy and he's really again, um he's really the kind of the catalyst for all of it, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so then the latest book, which I got, I guess was just under a year ago now, right? Yeah, yeah. The second the second edition of the of the birth of, I mean the first one was called The Birth of the Freestyle Movement. And somebody recommended to me that I put BMX in there to make it more easily searchable. Right. <laughs> And I thought actually it makes sense to have BMX in there anyway, but um, yeah. So that the second edition came out 2019, I think. And uh, yeah, the story of those projects really for me is, you know, I need I always need support, right? I mean, I'm a passionate person, and and I'll and I'll definitely, you know, fall on my sword to make these things happen. But they, you know, I need I do this pre-funding thing where I try to give people a great deal up front. I say, look, support me early. Help me, um, help me make this thing a reality because mm-hmm. um, I have print costs and time travel costs and all that, uh, and I'll try and give you a hell of a deal, right? Yeah. Up front. And and that's why I've always tried to do is put together little packages that excite people 
But when they look at it and read between the lines, hopefully they feel like they're getting good value for money. Um, so there's, I'm very, very grateful, actually, to, to all the people that support my stuff. And there's a really big group of guys out there that I get a lot of good emails from who help me by sharing, you know, social media. Um, and so, yeah, and ultimately what happens, though, is I get to the end of my print run, right? So I get to a point where I'm looking at empty boxes, um, which is where you want to end up. Um, and then I usually start thinking, well, you know, it's always a bit of a rodeo to do these things, but, you know, what if I did it again? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark sat in this room. That's a typical BMX thing. thing. Yeah. I don't know if that makes, you know, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of... I can't remember how many times I told Dom you probably shouldn't do another book. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure you were that polite about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. some, I'll, uh, I'll keep this rated the PG-13. I think there was some profanity in that. Uh, <laughs> but, um... I was storing your books last time, so... Well, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's super, and I know I've asked you this before, but is there any desire or anything to do one on racing? Or I know you speak to Byron, right? You're friends with Byron Friday a lot, yeah, right? I know yeah, I'm I love friends Byron. with Byron, yeah. He's a good guy, yeah. um, and he's knowledgeable, and he's, uh, you know, he's someone... That's, he helps to energize all of the stuff I do. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to do one on race. Again, for me, I'm coming at it from an angle of... I don't... Those things that I need, right? I need that community of people that trust me and understand what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I've got some of that in race, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. I would need to learn the story. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I do know a lot of it, and, I could, and I'm sure I could do, but again, what you need to, to make these things happen is you need a little bit of a perfect storm scenario, right? You need to be able to go out there and say, hey, I've got this idea, I'm going to do this book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you as much as I can tell you about it right now. It's going to be cool because it's going to have these guys in it and we're going to cover these subjects and we've got, you know, always never before seen photography. And what you're looking for then is a response. So you, you want people to say, oh, yeah, I mean, that's that's great. And how do you do it? So it goes back to this little mechanism I have where I say to people, look, take a ride with me here, right? And we'll, and we'll make this happen. You know, help me by paying a deposit on a book or something. Um, and I promise you I'll deliver. And I always do. It's very mm. important to me that I do that. Uh, you know, I don't want to do a sort of crowdfunding thing where, you know, it gets difficult at some point and it's not going to happen. So I'm always 100% committed to doing it. Yeah, I mean, you do it. And I'll put all your links with, with when I post all this stuff on my side. I mean, everything you yeah. do is amazing from this. You know, I've been helping John with this a little bit, picking up some of these bikes for you guys for this oh, yeah. current project with Horace. Maybe talk yeah. a bit about that. Yeah, again, that's another fun one that I, um, it kind of came about, you know, Johnny's done a great job. Right, he's put together a phenomenal amount of good products for the brand. Lineage, I think, is his his absolute you know Sistine Chapel, if you want to call it that. He's done a brilliant job. Um, there was a piece of it where I was doing the freestyler project, and I was like, okay, if I was going to do another one of these projects with these guys, I'd have to center it on the Haro Master, right? Mm-hmm. Because for me, that was really the bike I think that made. Haro, the leading brand in, in BMX freestyle, okay, and it certainly leaves that legacy for them now too. Um, you know, the Master was the bike every kid wanted in freestyle. It was the, you know, largely anyway. Um, it was the bike that stayed in the line for a long period of time. Tons of riders rode it. You know, it was the flatland bike, but you know, people still rode it on vert. And and Haro Sport came out obviously through Mike Dominguez. I knew that story pretty well, and I, and it's a story that's interesting to me about how these two bikes came out and really kind of lit a fuse under the scene. 1984 was without question the big year, right? It's the year that Freestyling Magazine came out. It's the year that the king of the skate parks turned pro and there was an evolution in the riding that was just phenomenal at that point. It is kind of second generation. So, you know, the first generation of the R.L. Osbournes and the Mike Buffs, you know, the Bob Harrows um, inspired the second generation of kids who, Mike Dominguez, the Eddie Fiolas, you know, who came along and took it to a whole new level. So 84 was, again, what I try to do on the project is I try to, I call it the blast zone, I try and pull in as much as I can, right? So let's talk about the king of the skate parks. It might not be a horror thing, but it's a piece of the story. And all these components interact to make it what it was. So yeah, it was kind of a fun one to plan, and, and Johnny's been uh, riding shotgun with me on a lot of it, and I know you've been helping out too. Um, what? Just say the Instagram, because you, you've, you've kind of done the whole story through the Instagram page you set up, right? Yeah, so yeah, really Instagram cool. is, our, is our kind of my preferred way of doing it. It's easy. Um, but yeah, so Haro BMX History is the Instagram handle for that. Uh, my book one is uh, The Birth of the Freestyle Movement. So both of those pages are stacked full of 
BMX uh, history um, imagery. And We've kind of gone through the story as, as you've been doing it, which I thought was cool, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah again, for, I'm just, I'm so tuned into it because mm. I'm doing it. You know, mm. Again, it's what I do, do to make a living. So um, I, and I like to plan and I like to have some theory behind what I do. So, you know, I don't like to put meaningless stuff out there. If I'm going to put a picture up, I like to try and tell people as much as I can about it. Yeah. And maybe try and find something they don't know about it that's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so, yeah, Instagram is the way we do it mainly. We do have some Facebook presence too. And the website, obviously, there's a mailing list. But, um, but yeah, that project's been been great fun. Uh, you know, COVID-19 has given us a few bumps in the road, mm-hmm. delays mainly. Um, but I think it's a, another great project that tells more good stories important stories for Haro because you know again they, there's not many other brands that can claim claim these moments of mm-hmm. the first vert bike the first signature model you know the Haro Master named after you know Bob D. David Morin who was his, one of his announcers at the time we refer to Bob as Master Bob Haro right. and that's how the Haro Master got its name so, oh was it see I didn't know that yeah, yeah. so ton, tons of great you know some of this you know just kind of minutia so if you, if, if you Mark John Haro and Bob Haro all sat in the room. Who knows the most about Haro? You dumb. <laughs> I mean, you got to be up there as well, right, Mark? And Haro? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't. I, Maybe on some I, subject, I, I, yeah. Essentially, I would know Bob Haro, but I don't know anything about the, the company behind When I did work with Bob, right. like back in the 90s, I knew him. Right. I knew, uh, who else did I work with there? It's, uh, you probably worked with Dean, didn't you? No, it wasn't Dean. Because you did so some mountain stuff. It was... Ah, mostly just dealt with Bob directly. So, yeah. I mean, that was the Bob was out front of the company always because right. he's product design, he's branding, mm-hmm. and 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 Bob's a passionate, enthusiastic person about all of it anyway by by nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Bob's a good guy to deal with on on all that stuff. And I, I'm actually just very quickly, I'm working on a the, the early planning stages, the spreadsheet piece of a book with him right now has he ever done it he did a book way back in the day right like in the 80s he well he did the freestyle moves book which okay. is, again you know real sort of visionary thing in 1982 1983 the, the man puts out a book and teaches everyone how to write, how to write freestyle right again mm-hmm. blows my mind a little bit because I don't know anybody else that was thinking about it like that right and he was he was like on a crest of a wave with everything he was the energy for freestyle at that point he was taking ownership of it he mm-hmm. was bringing all of these creative skills and, and desires to it that he had. Uh, so yeah, he came out with Bob Harrow's Freestyle Moves and I believe he's actually just doing a secondary release of it as a kind of collector's piece mm-hmm. right now. So people can probably find that on Bob's website. Um, but yeah, he and I, I some years ago, um, we, we talked about a number of projects over the years. I've been working with him on Iconics, um, which is a, a work in progress. Um, and there is always been talk of he and I doing a book and then he supplied me with his contact sheets of images, which frankly are just staggeringly good, <laughs> as you'd expect. Oh, of course. Beautifully sure, shot yeah. stuff. Lots of James Casimus shot photography, lots of outtakes from things that we've seen other pictures of. But an incredible archive of story is what I look at. So he and I talked about it for a number of years. And actually, we, we sat down just last night and, and started planning it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can expect to see that happening soon. Oh, that'd be great. There's a yeah. working title uh, for the book. It's called Rollback. Um, that may change. I don't know. That's Bob's call. Bob's creative vision. I'm. Uh, Did Bob invent the rollback? Sorry if these questions are really question. dumb. It's like somebody asking a dumb race question. I'd be like... Well, <laughs> I don't know for sure, but I will say this. That Bob, Bob's brother, Ronnie, told me... Um, he told me that he would look out of his bedroom window when they lived in Spring Valley and he said I'd watch my brother ride up the street right. come to a halt and then start rolling backwards right right and and you know magical little stories like that because mm-hmm. yeah, Bob didn't tell you that Bob Bob is very much a forward thinking person right he doesn't yeah even when we talk about history a lot I often remind him of things he can't remember. And the good thing then is that triggers something else that I don't know, right? So we had these little yeah, like, yeah. tank things going on. But, um, but you know, so sometimes to get the story of people like that, you do get outside perspectives. Of, yeah, like, yeah. Sense of it. yeah. And actually the birth books are like that. I mean, one of the MOs I had for that was, I, I said to everyone that was in the book, look, I'm not trying to make, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be rude, but I'm not trying to make this everyone's anthology piece, right? I'm not trying to say, okay, guys, dump on me every trick you've ever invented and every claim you've got. 
I always said there's a story here, and I think you guys can be the storytellers, right? And then what happens is when other people tell the story and they talk about certain people in the book, that person's getting the credit they deserve, right? Ron Wilkerson was a prime example of that. Ron is a super amazing individual. I love him. Um, we're very good friends. And whenever I interview him, he's very modest, okay? But then if I go and speak to someone like, I don't know, Pete Augustine or Brian Blyfer, they will talk about Ron doing things. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knows that Ron, you know, was an ambitious young guy. He joined Harrow. He was like, you know, the team manager. But he started the King of Vert. He made all that happen. He dealt with Vision Streetwear and, and all the sponsors. You know, he hired great people like Kevin Martin to be his, you know, to be his kind of, to ride shotgun with him and, and put that series together. Um, so it's really just about a community of people telling a story. And, and I, that came across really well. There was a couple of instances when people were like, yeah, I did this, I did that. And I would just say, hey, you know what? Just, just, just talk, just keep going, just mm-hmm. keep telling me. And I would then extract the narrative I needed and it usually would make sense when it was slotted into the book. Um, there were a few people that wouldn't be in the book. I mean, you know, always there's 109 people in the last version of that book. Wow. And I can tell you something exciting again in a minute where it's going to get even bigger for the next round. Wow. Um, but there were, there's always a few people that just don't, can't connect to the idea in the same way that you do. So there's a few people conspicuously absent in the birth books. I don't want to name names because I don't think that's very fair, but um, my my only point would be I go to everybody, right? Because I I don't get to make the decision of what's already happened. Mm -hmm. So whether I'm a fan of someone or a good mate of theirs or whatever, I go to everyone Mm -hmm. and give them the same the same pitch and some people just don't want to do it then and yeah there's there's always a few people that just they have they want something out of it that I can't give them usually you know usually it's a financial piece to it sometimes I'm always feeling that there's a more complex reason for it Mm -hmm. and they will put a check on you know me writing them a check which is never going to happen unfortunately becomes actually a bit of an excuse for something else that's going on that I don't really understand but Mm -hmm. For the most part, I'm very, very lucky. I've met a lot of great people. The for the, all the people that give me more than I could dream of, um, I'm always, you know, content value rich because of those great people that just dig in and say, "Here's the shoebox from the from the loft with the pictures in it," mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know, go it's and speak be to fun someone. Fun just doing that, going through people's pictures, you know. It's, uh... it's yeah. I, I mean, I'd lie to you if I said I don't absolutely love doing those. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's gonna it. be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the same in races. A lot of people that have got great stories. Who are a few guys from my friends I'd love to do podcasts with. and just don't want to talk about the history. You know, just you know, yeah. Neil Woods. Uh, you obviously probably know Neil Wood and Christoph Levesque, Great guys from the nineties are just not that interested in talking about the old stuff. You know, which yeah. I know they've just got great stories, and I'm hoping one day they'll come around and we can we can do it. You know, because like I say, a lot of people. Uh, I think there is. I yeah. think there is a piece like that to it, right? Yeah. Where people just become more comfortable with it. Right? Yeah. I mean, R.L. Osborne is a good example. So, I um, R.L. really hadn't been that much involved. You know, he hadn't sort of re- come back to the community. I guess that we've seen we've seen that community coming back together for the last ten or fifteen years, right? Riders, mm-hmm. and everyone's pretty positive about it. R.L. I don't know what. I don't know. I didn't know anything about RL other than what I knew about him as, as a kid growing up. That he was just an iconic writer and, a, and an amazing guy. Um, and I found him, and he was very respectful and uh, supportive. But he wasn't. He wasn't certain he wanted to be involved. So <laughs> it took me quite a number of uh, conversations and to really sort of lay out what I was doing. It, he was pretty reluctant, but then he said to me, "Hey, you know what?" I trust in you and I, and I think we should do it. So he then came in um, and he and I have been really talking pretty regularly for, God, I'd say maybe, well, for the four years since. So, um, and he's kind of like made a re-entry into, into the scene again now with a bit more of a splash. He's doing his own stuff. He's got his own little media uh, situation going on with um, doing like live Facebook stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to the stuff we do with Bob. We did a, a Bob Harrow happy hour last night, which is quite fun. So, you know, I, for me, there's always a bit of a challenge in managing such a big group of people and then trying to get, you know, this this huge orbit of information down into a book. Mm-hmm. The books always end up being pretty big. Um, 
for that reason and I'm pretty indulgent because I'm a fan of what I'm working on so you know yeah not sure I was going with any of that but yeah no, it seems <laughs> like I say with the Bob Horror and anything else other projects on that's so how you're doing a Bob Horror book anything else yeah well, on the... actually quite a few things I'm going I'm to be really busy um, for the years coming up you said you're going to do a podcast as well right yeah so I'm, I'm doing um, again I, I, I'm always keen to do more with content when I've got no home for it and so I'm going to do a podcast called BMX Originals and I'm just trying to keep it as a really small tight project it's going to be six people in the podcast um, the people I've already got lined up the first one will be with Bob Osborne so I'm going over to see Bob well, that'd in, be awesome, yeah. I'm going over to see him uh, in a few weeks time and I think with him it would be like a two-parter so that would be quite cool um, Bob Harrow is going to be one um, I'm talking with potentially maybe Lynn Castan being one of them oh cool um, Bob Morales. Oh, yeah. uh, so I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of figure out who, exactly who my guests are. Yeah, and, and it's not really an opinion thing. It's more me looking at the story of those individuals and seeing how essentially when you put six of them into a series, do they all make sense of each other? <coughs> so it's a bit of a bit of a crusade of mine to make sure. Yeah, you know, that'd be interesting. Things are meaningful. So we'll keep, uh, when can we expect anything this year? Or? I'd say, yeah, I mean, probably mid to late August. I'm going to record the first one with, with Oz. Um, Mark has very kindly set us up with this cool recording equipment we're using today. And uh, So where the test been a guinea pig for uh, Bob Osborne. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. so it will be good quality. Yeah, um, no, no. If this works today, we're going to be back here, Mark. Yeah, Next week. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no good keeps us unpunished. So. Yeah, <laughs> so we've got, yeah, I've got that going on. Um, and I'm excited about, I'm excited about getting into some of the stuff that isn't in the book with those people. Mm-hmm. Um and actually, yeah, the other thing I've got going on is, so the birth of the BMX Freestyle Movement book is, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at those empty boxes, right? I'm at the empty box moment, and I'm thinking, at this point, you know, I don't usually print vast quantities because it's costly to do that. Um, and at this point, I'm looking at it, and I'm always thinking, okay, what do I do here? Do I just reprint it and put it on Amazon? Or do I take another swing at this thing from a content point of view? So I go through a stage of again, usually riding my bike, and trying to figure out what would enrich it, right? What would make it more complete? Because it's really, I, I make no excuses that it's never really complete. It's always such a vast amount of information to get together that you do your best, right? And like, I think somebody said years ago that struck a chord with me was, you know, creative projects, you never finish them. You just at some point decide to abandon them and say that's as far as you can go. This one I, I probably should abandon at some point. I'm sure my wife would tell me to do that. But, um, <laughs> but so I'm going to, I started looking at it and I, and I started planning about three months ago talking to two groups of people which would essentially become two big new chapters in the book, okay? So the first challenge was how do I accommodate that content without making the book something that, you know, takes three people to pick up because it weighs 15 tonnes. Um, so I've come up with a formula to remove the branded chapters and put them into a separate supplement that comes with the book, and I've ele- and I've found my solution. So now I've got potentially eighty to one hundred pages to populate with new chapters, and the two big new chapters that are I can tell you now are pretty certain to go ahead. Are one will be dedicated to the whole touring era, so the U.S. touring era, mm-hmm. um, and that that working title for that chapter is the growth engine, right? Because I think it is this you know in modern terms antiquated way of growing the industry and growing the business putting young guys in vans mm-hmm. high school age some of them sending yeah. them around the country and i can tell you the stories of course are amazing right they're great stories and they're stories that everyone can connect with because it was the riders in the van and it was the fans at the shops right so it's kind of like for me it feels pretty inclusive as this a, was going around the world, really, wasn't it? At the same time, oh, yeah. you know, England, Australia, I see all, you see all the footage. and Well, the GT World Tour of, yeah. was one of the things I was quite keen on because I remember the GT World Tour really well. And I, for me, there's such an iconic imagery in my mind when I think about it, right? They, Eddie Fiola and Dave Breed mm-hmm. came, came to the UK. I believe Sean Buckley was the manager. Um, and they came and Eddie had that just epic-looking bike. Eddie always put great bikes together. Mm-hmm. They came in like 
blacked out uniforms, you know, mm-hmm. diner uniforms. Well, like one in red and one was in, no, one was in, Eddie was in black and breed. I didn't know who he was, but he was on the Kellogg's. He was all in yeah. white, right? Did they like switch colors or? I think, I yeah. think something like that, yeah. But I just remember looking at it and thinking it was just such an inspiring, yeah, kind of like identity for what I love. You see, I didn't know Dave Breed, never heard of him before, never heard of him after, but I remember he wrote for GT, you know. Well, here's yeah. a good thing. I picked yeah. up the phone the other day. Brian Blyfer uh, is connected to, to Dave, and I called mm-hmm. Dave up. And Dave is a total awesome person, and he's going to be in the, in the chapter. Oh, cool. Uh, Sean Buckley, who is the GT tour manager, he's going to be in the chapter. And I'm basing it really on some of the bigger teams and their activities. So Haro, obviously. So there'll be these kind of little groups in mm-hmm. that chapter. There'll be, you know, Diz, Seppi, uh, Buff, and those guys talking about the CW. Hutch which is always as well, maybe. pretty interesting. Yeah, there'll yeah. be a Hutch piece to it. There's going to be Haro GT, uh, maybe Redline. Um, so we'll have some good stories yeah. coming through. Some, some new people and some people that are already in the book. But the other chapter that I think is pretty cool and that I'm really excited about um, is I'm going to put a chapter in there about the UK. So the UK. Oh, okay, cool. Stuff. Yeah, that's one of my yeah. questions. What's, what's, you know, all this stuff here, we need to do some UK stuff. Yeah, and, it, and it kind of, what it does is it kind of disrupts some rules I had about the book, which was when I was first putting it together to manage what I could actually do, I had these kind of rules I'd put in place, like, okay, the birthplace for freestyle BMX was, was Southern California, okay? So, you know, for me to be able to... There's people out there that will tell you there was a great scene in France and a great scene in Australia, whatever. I had to look at it from the point of view of, of course I'd love to cover it, but I've got to keep it to the... I've got to, I can't go with anything other than the major, mm-hmm. the major pieces of it, right? So in this case, in the last book, I did a new chapter called In a Parallel Universe, which was all about the NorCal scene. And that was really born out of the fact that so many writers from NorCal had, had told me stories that were running in parallel to the stories that we knew in Southern California. And to be fair to all of those guys, too, no one ever really ever said to me, well, you know, we need to get represented because we were doing this at the same time. That No one ever took that tact. But I could tell. I could see that the Golden Gate Park scene was like a little incubator of its own. Um, you know, the Curb Dogs, Dave Vanderspeck is a, mm-hmm. an icon of, uh, of NorCal BMX history. So I, I decided that chapter needed to be in there and that was a biggie and I put that one together with some awesome people. Um, and that was really the same thing with the UK scene. I was thinking about it. I talked to Nick Phillip fairly regularly. I speak to Craig Campbell. A lot of them guys live out here now anyway, don't they? Yeah, well, yeah, Nick's up in the Bay. Uh, Dave Curry is another uh, another influential rider. Oh, he's um, all over BMX Action Bike. He's test riding yeah. the BMX Action Bike, yeah, GT. I believe yeah. he started Action Zone, the brand. And, yeah, yeah. And he's over here somewhere. I think he works in the movie business. Oh, right, um, okay. So I've got this little crew coming together, and I'm working on it. So I've spoken to Billy Stuffle. I've spoken to Mike Canning, uh, Craig Campbell, all those guys. I've been speaking with uh, Tim Layton Boyce. Oh really? So Tim oh, is wow. yeah. For those yeah. who don't know, Tim was yeah, Tim yeah. was like a, he was bike. probably more of a kind of skateboard centric guy, but shot some of the most iconic imagery from like Mons Ramp, um, yeah. from the South Bank, you know. And I got I got into this into this little thought process with it, where I think there are these little components. So I'm gonna gra- I'm gonna try and tell the story of this kind of ten year era. And what I like about it is it kind of comes to a bit of a con- conclusion when the Craig and Nick and Dave Curry and all those guys ended up over here and they interacted with the guys at Freestyle Magazine. Mm-hmm. Craig had been coming over prior to that because um, he was in the King of the Skate Parks back in 85. He had a lot of coverage when he was here, wasn't he? Yeah. He probably wasn't here that long really, was he? But he was... He, yeah. I think he came, he went back and forth a lot, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, I've spoken to Mark, Mark Lubin and Andy, uh, Andy Jenkins, and again, they remember you know, the UK, they remember that era of these guys coming over and, yeah. and getting to see this other side of it mm-hmm. from this different place. But yeah, the UK scene was so passionate mm-hmm. and so indulgent that a lot went on. So one of the most convincing things was I started to look at imagery that I could get my, my hands on for the book and the imagery I found for the UK chapter, quite honestly, is just mind-blowingly good. So I'm very, very excited oh, to cool. put these two pieces And it's stuff that's not been in the magazines? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd never seen any of it. I mean, there's some mm. pictures of Nick Phillip riding uh, a green GT performer with fully decked out in anarchic adjustment clothing, <laughs> which, of course, was his, that was his brand, right? right. That, was, that was one of Nick's contributions. Um, and 
I think this bike has got barbed wire around the top tube. I mean, you know, and what he's wearing is very much kind of like, you know, it's it's like casual wear, stroke street wear. Mm-hmm. You know, and those guys had a very interesting little little uh, little lifestyle where you know they brought music into it. I think I believe that uh, Jess, Nick, and Craig maybe rode their bikes on stage at one of the first Beastie Boy concerts that took place in, in London. Oh, wow. So you've got all these kind of crazy streams. Yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly when I speak to people like Nick, I think, you know, for them, the components were, you know, design. They, they became interesting in design, right? And they started to design logos and come up with ideas for clothing. And, and certainly when they came over, I think, there's a legacy of, of those guys being here in the streetwear scene that isn't covered by any BMX history, right? So... You know, Nick tells me great stories about being at the Action Sports Retailer Show in Long Beach and, you know, and, and them all figuring out little entrepreneurial ideas of their own to start businesses. And, and you know, so, yeah, there's anyway, I can go off all day about it. There's so <laughs> many, like just what I've, you, you said here, there's so many. So I really hope, and it seems like your plate's pretty full, but you juggle pretty well. I hope you come into race. I, mean, I think Gork's probably a guy in BMX race that could probably do what you do with book, books and stuff. But, yeah, totally. But I think yeah. Gork's so probably busy with uh, his current USA BMX gig. It's probably hard for him to do it, but hopefully yeah. um, he'll do something one day. Or like I say, maybe one day you'll have time to do some more stuff in race because there's so much, yeah. like say, undocumented um, stories that love to come out, you know. I mean, cool. People from like a motivation money. point of view, it, it just has to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I can be the guy that does it, then I'd, I'd be delighted to do that. Um, somebody else does it, i you know, support it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes back again I mean what you just said is very true that you know for Gork I can't imagine what it would take for him to be able to do it because I know what it takes for me to do it yeah I have to work on these things pretty much full time so you know I've known other people that have contacted me and said um, you know I'm working on a BMX history project and I'm doing it in, in my weekends and spare time and you know I can honestly say most of the time I'm just thinking I don't I don't know if you're going to make it yeah <laughs> I know Bob Osborne said to me that one of the first questions he ever asked me, I, I cold called him uh, on my on my book project and I said, hey, I said, you know, slightly nervous English guy telling you a bunch of stuff all at once. And he said, are you going to make it happen? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make it happen. I said, what do you ask? And he said, well, you know, I get maybe a dozen of these calls a year. Right. And as yet, I don't think any of them have happened. Right. I said, well, Bob, I can tell you now. Yeah, you're and one of the guys. If my word is worth it, yeah. anything, this will happen. Right. And actually, I think that's one of the reasons that we've got, you know, we've been able to, I, I'm going to see him again. And mm-hmm. I have another project I'm going to be starting with a brand later this year. I, I don't want to talk about it right now because it's, you know, I'm, I just don't want to get too deep into it right now. But mm-hmm. I'm going to be starting another big history project. Um, and there'll be some really epic people involved in that too. So I've definitely got a full plate. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to hearing more. I'll be I'll be burning Mark for some of it at some point. Will yeah. we miss anything, Mark? Anything I need to? Well, I mean, Don, uh, Don, Don can plug his other little uh, project we got going here for oh, next yeah, month. So, so, so uh, yeah, I, I put on a bike race in. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you that the night bike stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a fun. Again, another idea I had back in back in England years ago. I used to ride, you know, ride bikes to keep fit, and I used to ride mountain bikes and road bikes and. I used to ride with the British Army cycling team because I lived near a, an army garrison. And uh, I had this idea after going down the pub with them after rides, <laughs> they would just fight and argue, right? Because the military guys just love a rivalry, as we know, right? Um, so I just came up with this idea. I thought, you know, what, what would happen if, uh, if we put a bunch of road bikers in a race with a bunch of mountain bikers and had them have to compete on each other's, you know, so there's a road and a mountain bike piece to it but you have to, all, all riders have to ride both. So I started an idea, I called it the best of both. And I came to Oregon, I live in Bend, Oregon, so I, it's the perfect place to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're in the third year of that as well, which is uh, an interesting year to be doing it with all the COVID-19 thing too, because that's been a big challenge. We've been kind of on and off all year, whether we can do it. And ultimately now it's about satisfying, you know, some sensible health uh, distancing measures, you know, like, yeah, like yeah. everyone's doing. But at this point, we're still still pretty nailed on to do it, and there's a pretty solid plan in place. And the Oregon Health Authority and the state government have been helping out with that. So, so yeah, that's a that's a complete tangent that uh, is another little distraction I've got. But um, yeah, you definitely do like to uh, 
like to keep busy. Uh, one of my last questions is um, magazines. Will they ever come back? I like to ask people that. Oh, man. Wouldn't you just love it if they did? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. can still, I can still remember what it feels like to, to clutch a copy of BMX Action Bike while oh, yeah. I'm riding my bike back from the newsagents. <laughs> and in, in this moment of just glee, of thinking, I can't wait to open it. Mm-hmm. And again, credit to some of the great magazines of that era. But yeah, if someone did, man, I'd buy it. I'd be a subscriber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without question. I, lo- I love to see stuff like that. What do you think of social media? Does that keep you just like? Social media, I think, is very useful. I mean, I, it's a, an absolute need for me. I mean, I orchestrate most of my work on there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, am I the best social media guy? Probably not. But that's more of my reticence towards it than, you know, I, I could get better at it. But I really feel kind of blessed that we have such a really strong core community in BMX because I get messages from people that are young old I get messages from modern riders I remember Chase Hawk coming down to the to the van skate park and expressly just to buy a book from me he wouldn't let me give it to him he wanted to buy it so you got really great kids like that Jason Watts was another kid that bought a book from me that's cool um so you know it's a good social media allows us to kind of connect everyone and get the message out easily and I'm lazy I do most of it on Instagram uh, just, I've never just been a big Facebook guy. Just for me, I just feel like it's a world I don't want to spend a lot of time in. But yeah. so Instagram works well, and I'll be yeah, there'll be a bunch of announcements coming out. I'll be doing all my announcements for the podcast through that. I'll hopefully be announcing this next edition of the book. Um, although that will be maybe later this year, um, and I'm excited to get into this promotion of this Bob Horror book too because I can tell you now that there's some pretty epic content coming together for that. So, yeah, I look forward to it. Mark, anything I missed? No, that sounds good. You know, just you know, talking about the magazines, just as we were talking earlier about, you know, kind of as they were coming out, you know, yeah. I remember it was, you know, whatever time of the month it was, it was always two months ahead of the or, yeah. of what the, you know, the published date was. But, you know, thinking about, you know, you're talking about the rollback with, with Bob, and so, you know, in the old days, when we were learning freestyle tricks, it was like every month you learned a new trick. It was like the, the sequential photos of whether that was Bob Osborne or whoever, or James Casimus doing the, you know, the multi-image stuff where you could watch, okay, this is how you do a boomerang, or this is, you know, they changed the names of this stuff since then. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know whether it's a curbendo or it's a boomerang, or it's a cherry picker or something like that, or, or Miami Hopper, it's all, all these tricks that you learn, it's just like, okay, Every month you learned a new trick. So there was something, this is R.L. Osborne doing the Miami Hopper. So it's like, okay, we learned that. We've went over the bars a few times, and then eventually we learned how to do it. And then, okay, well, we got that down. Now we got the Woody Itson doing the Cherry Picker or whatever it is. And that was, it seemed, in retrospect, it seems more fun to me to have done that way than to be able to go to YouTube and learn every trick that's ever been done in the last four years and I can watch through them and, you know, and in five hours and learn every trick that was done. And now it's like, you know, the tricks that Matias down the way and those guys do, I, just, I don't know how anybody would learn how to do that from yeah. scratch. But, you know, I, I don't think it's as fun to see these guys spinning around at, That's you one know, 3,000 RPMs and doing crazy yeah. stuff. You can't figure out I mean, what's going on. it's spectacular, isn't it? I think one of the big problems that BMX has is that that entry point is, is not obvious anymore. Yeah. You, know, you can go on YouTube and see kids doing incredible things. Because, you know, one thing I think is... Without question, obviously, is that the evolution of riding in freestyle has just, you know, continued relentlessly. You know, you, I, I know there's riders back in the day, in the 80s, I, would, I speak to now, and they would say, you know, back in the 80s, we didn't know what was possible next, right? So, you know, I think back in the 80s, people were thinking, well, maybe this is as far as it's going to go. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it hasn't. And that, that really is testament to, to again, young people you know, taking ownership of something. I think there's a lack of ownership and leadership from kids in the scene as a whole, but I think on the riding ranks, it's incredible to watch what's happening. Mm-hmm. I would love to see who the next Ron Wilson's going to be, the next Bob Haro, who's going to come through as a young kid and make something happen that's consequential to the industry, who's going to start a contest seat series that's based on what riders want to do. Vans do a phenomenally good job of that. Vans don't get enough credit for that, in my opinion. I mean, the Pro Cup is incredible. Yeah. And I know, you know, I've known Jerry Ballas for a number of years, and he was extremely passionate about that and committed. Um, and, of course, you go and watch it, and it's worth every, you know, every nail they put in the beach or whatever. Yeah, no, it's amazing how the Huntington Beach one is. Yeah. How they do that. It's spectacular. And without it, where would we be, right? And they take mm. that around the world as well. So, you know, but I, I'd love to see 
I don't know, I kind of feel like maybe BMX as a culture now is kind of segmented down to, you know, the rider does his bit, the bike company does their bit. And actually what you want to see is you want to see someone come in and, and get busy doing all of it. Yeah, no, it's time. really in racing that same thing. That's And I think this might be a good time as everything's kind of changing now, at least it's going to seem like it's changing, at least in race I'm talking about more. It's, you know, the sponsorship's getting less, the... It's going to get harder to travel. It's going to get more expensive to travel. So more of some of yeah. this grassrootsy, um, you know, put your own event on and, and start your own little thing might be the way um, it comes back around, you know, in a different way, but maybe kind of cool, you know? So yeah. I think we talked yeah. about that yeah. not too long ago. It's just like, you know, I don't know. I, I sort of tell if, yeah, I wouldn't want to take a kid around the country. No, no, world, no. I, I would no. have no problem taking to, you know, down to Chula Vista. Yeah. Or Kearney, Kearney Mesa. Or Absolutely. To, I think in the Poway or something like that. I mean, do it within a region and it makes a lot more sense no I think so as well especially with the the, the pump track thing coming in a little bit now it's a way where uh, there might be some potential to do some cool stuff with that as well and yeah I think it, it's just uh, putting something together where it can kind of be cool little grassrootsy events would be uh, could, could be something well, good even you know? multidisciplinary so it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a fixed you know single gear 20 inch BMX bike right it's yeah, yeah. Bike, or it's a 20 inch mountain bike or a 24 inch mountain bike or mm-hmm. 26, 27 and a half you know 29 and that's all why these, they're all bicycles. You're all doing the exact same thing. So. And we need to. I know Jason wants to come down as well. And and now you've got this podcast set up. Podcast set up. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll do this pretty soon. But I think me, you, Jason, we need to talk about this stuff. And you, we're also going to talk about that thing over there yeah, real we, quick yeah. before we wrap up this one. <laughs> and, uh, so so Mark is uh, the man behind the 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 Bob Haro uh, Iconics. Uh, how how do you explain well, this? Well, okay. I, I did most of the engineering, a lot of design work. Uh, the green. All the prototype work, and uh, so that was a carbon bike that we did at. Uh, it was a 2012. Was it 2012? It was the Oakley in London. That was Oakley London. Design right? Yeah, so it, it, yeah. Oakland, Oakley had a, a basically rented out a museum right next to the Thames River. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a. Is it Thames or how did they talk? River, River Thames. River Thames. Thames. That's a, sorry. <laughs> River Thames. There's probably more, yeah. there's, there's probably more <laughs> Brits listening to the show than. The, <laughs> right, right. You better go. <laughs> they're going to get. Well, we definitely need to talk about that anyway, and actually, I might even grab this on the way out and throw it on eBay. See what I can. Okay. Uh, well, see. you know, the thing yeah. about bike is it's, it's funny actually because again, it's you know, Bob's vision for design is 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 what you're looking at, right? I mean, Mark, yeah, Mark's design pieces come to it too, but that bike was only ever really meant to be a concept bike, right? That was Bob's Bob making a splash and saying, "Hey, remember what ha- happened when young people used to do yeah. things, mm-hmm. and it wasn't about you know people in." you know, in the office above the factory designing bikes. Again, it goes back to that whole thing of what, where's that spirit of youthful creation in BMX? And that I think that's what it needs. It needs people Absolutely, to, yeah, yeah. Because you know what? Most kids that are in BMX are not in it for money. Mm-hmm. And it's not that's not to say that, you know, I don't want to be that, that guy who says, you know, when it comes about money, it's lost its soul or anything like that. Because you need a business element to it too. But... For me, it just feels like the culture of the sport should be driven by young people. Yes. Matt Hoffman did, of course, a phenomenal job of that as well in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, I know, I, I mean, who's going to do that? I'd love to see someone step up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's the same, same race, I think some of those younger guys um, need to get in there and kind of take control of the, the, the sport, you know? It's like yeah. you can't yeah. rely on all the old guys to have back in the day, you know? so Is anybody but, doing it? I mean, I know a couple of guys that tried some... There's some lots of guys, there's didn't... lots of conversations, yeah. you know, but I, I don't think no one's ready to roll anything out yet, you know? It's just, yeah. you know, like what we do all day, we're just bench racing, ideas, talking, but no one's actually, yeah, me like, including as, 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 you know, I'm doing my own little thing, but I think uh, there's, there's a lot more we can all do, you know, collectively. Yeah, I, and mean, I, it's, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it's one thing yeah. for 50-year-old guys like, Mm. average 50 year old right. <laughs> to, to be starting new products we all have our own products yeah so yeah, it, yeah but it's like i started my first products when i was in my 20s yeah so it's yeah like, and most of these guys that the names on the bicycles now started when they're in their 20s yeah. yeah and if you're going to do a history of you know do a quick thing you know if you're going to do a history of bmx mm-hmm. racing that that precedes uh freestyling mm-hmm. by about at least 10, 15 yeah. years. So I mean, those, that, those people aren't going to be around too much longer. So you got to start documenting them now. So yeah. John Parfumon and Tom Lund are two people I connected with on the book. Um, and I'll be talking to them again, I believe, this year. You know, and, and that really is that. That really is the... I would, I'm not even sure you can call it grassroots, right? It's more like fire road gravel, right? Because those guys like mm-hmm. Byron as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, starting yeah. something. Yeah. You know, the purity of motive scenario mm-hmm. which is usually the thing that gets 
you know, good, makes good things happen, right? Mm-hmm. So a BMX racing book project would be incredible. And, you know, I, I would be excited to do it. I don't think it's something I could do for a while. But um, I know there's a bunch of really incredible people in the race scene from that era, from the early era, that would just be... There's some guys doing some stuff in the UK now. So I, the, you know, the rad guys have got a good good Facebook following and oh, lo- yeah. lo- a lot of people popping up on there. And, and, and them guys have been, do, you know, putting up, I've done a little piece for them um, that are putting put in a book together anyway. So I'm looking forward to seeing what them guys come up with. But um, yeah. yeah I, they, they're a good little yeah. team. Anthony, yeah. Anthony, who yes. I speak with there, he's, yeah. he's just one of the nicest guys out mm. there. He's, he's passionate about it. He's, he's mm. the kind of guy that will, you know, make sure it gets done. So yeah, I keep an eye on that one too, and um, just great to see projects like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, cool. I know we could go on talking forever. Maybe we'll do this again when you next time you're down and uh, yeah. get an update on stuff. And Mark, like I yeah, say, we'll sure. be back in the next couple of weeks sure. to use all your equipment, <laughs> and uh, we'll put our logo up here outside so nobody else can use it. Change, right. change the locks. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Dom. All right. And well, uh, thank you. we'll catch you all next time. See ya. Bye. Thank you.